Well, hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris, the Communications Director at Cap City. And if this is your first time listening or you just want to say hi, you can email me at ctaylor at capitalcitychristian.org. We're in a summer preaching series about the things that made Jesus mad. Looking in Scripture, we can find several examples where Jesus got mad, and there was always a general theme behind each occurrence. Somebody was trying to put a wedge between God and someone else. One of the things we know made Jesus angry is whenever people mistreated kids and when indifference got in the way. Let's go right to today's message with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Hey guys, Next Gen Sunday. This is cool. It's a really, really big deal to us here at Cap City. You saw the three staff members that we have working with our Next Geners. We have a lot of others who assist. Jessica Breider oversees preschool. And we see it as flat-out ministry. She's got a team of about 70 volunteers that help in that ministry. Lisa Maddox oversees our elementary school ministry with some 40 volunteers. Ben Jeffries works with middle high school kids. He's been able to find 14 volunteers willing to invest in middle schoolers and high schoolers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? You know what? These are our frontline ministers. And anybody here who works with our kids, would you stand up, please? Let's give them thanks, guys. Give them thanks. You see, guys, this is where the rubber hits the road. Kids matter. They didn't always historically, but we're Jesus followers. Now, I think that kids are pretty much the same wherever, whenever, but childhood is not. I mean, even if you compare my childhood with that of my grandchildren, we're only 50 years apart or so, 60 for a couple of them. How many of you old guys remember this thing that we used to call the library? Was that not cool? These big buildings with all those books, they had these things that you call card catalogs that you go up and look up whatever book you're trying to find, and they had library cards and library fines. How many of you guys paid library fines? I paid lots of them, right? Now every kid gets one of these Chromebooks. How cool. Wouldn't you have loved one of those things when you were, when you were little at school? And our, little, and our kids have these, these things, smartphones, amazing. You can email, you can text, not just phone. You can play games, watch videos, look stuff up. According to an ABC News report that I read last week, the average teenager spends about seven hours a day on their phone. The average tweener spends about five hours a day on their phone. Our phones were a little less mobile. They were a little less versatile. And we had these things called party lines, which doesn't mean what it sounds like, right? You old guys, remember watching TV? 27-inch black and white, maybe encased in a box, sitting on the floor with a pair of rabbit ears on top that you had to adjust constantly to see if you get the picture in. Three channels and a TV guide. My grandson, Stephen, bought a smart TV for his room. This is not Stephen, but it's smart TV. 4K, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Disney, Facebook, YouTube, games. Wouldn't that have been cool, guys? If I'd have had that in my room, I probably would have never left my room, right? And you old guys remember the first video games that we played? My favorite was Battlezone, the one on top there. For others, it was Asteroids or, or Pong. They were just lines on a screen, single color. 
Then there was Donkey Kong and Mario Brothers and Pac-Man and graphics got better. And now, holy cow, Call of Duty, Minecraft, if I'd have had Madden, I never would have left my room, right? Now, we old guys sometimes are dazzled by what our kids find is common. But can you imagine someone from the world of Jesus 2,000 years ago? Their minds would literally explode. I mean, children are pretty much the same. Childhood is very, very different. Now, back then, a lot of people did want kids. A lot of people needed kids. It was an agrarian society, and kids are cheap farm help, right? And if a family's in a boatload of debt, you could sell a kid, you could lease a kid to settle your debt. And when you're getting old, your kids are supposed to take care of you. But back in that world, kids weren't really valued as kids. Homes didn't revolve around kids as a lot of homes do today. In fact, according to their laws, if you had a kid that was too honorary, you could have him executed. Outside of Judaism, it was even worse. If a baby was deformed, if a man wasn't sure the baby was his, or even if it's just a girl, you could take the baby out and just set it by the side of the road. Sometimes a baby would die. Sometimes some family that wanted a kid would pick it up and raise it. Sometimes a kid would be picked up by slavers. And in that world, those who were higher on the social ladder pretty much despised and used those who were lower on the social ladder, however they wanted. So there was a boatload of sexual exploitation that was taking place. It would curdle your blood. And into that world walks Jesus. Some would argue that Jesus was the one who really invented childhood. Because not only did he notice kids, he gave them a dignity, a value, a significance that was literally paradigm changing. So I want to look at a string of scenes in the Jesus stories that still guide us Jesus followers when it comes to our kids. You ready? Here goes. Now Jesus' disciples were arguing about who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Now I got to tell you, our arguments are a little different. Vern and I argue a lot about who's the humblest right? By the way, the answer is me. I'm the humblest, okay? These dorks were arguing over who was the greatest. Come here, Jax. This is Jackson. He's my grandson. Come here. I'm going to sit you up here. Matthew says that Jesus called a little child among them, and he says, guys, truly I tell you, which means don't miss this. Don't miss this, guys. Unless you change and become like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of a child, that's the one who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And any one of you who welcomes a child in my name welcomes me, says Jesus. Now, guys, if you've been around here a while, you know that I try to play the ogre, the Grinch, and the troll. But I love our kids. I adore our kids. I love how they respond to me. I love how they respond to the church. I love how they respond to God. They are so cool. Now, twice I've had four-year-olds think I'm God, okay? I'm serious. It's happened. It's pretty funny. They usually figure it out by the time they're five, right? But one little guy, I guess he was watching me up on stage, and for some reason I stepped off stage, and the little guy turns over and he whispers to his mom, where did God go? 
You got to admit that's a little funny, isn't it? Or this kid in VBS, they're acting out the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. You know that story about the wee little guy who climbed up into the tree so we could see Jesus. Anyway, the teacher was having them act out the part, and he said to one little kid, you play the Jesus part. You tell Zacchaeus to come down. And apparently the kid said something like that. Well, what am I supposed to say? And the teacher said, well, just what would your mama say to you? So this little kid looks at Zacchaeus, and he says, get the hell out of that tree. In our VBS, right over there, out of the mouth of babes, and parents are humiliated, right? <laughs> or the little guy who was standing right about there during the concert, little tiny guy, they were all lined up around the concert. He was picking a really big one out of his nose, and he just starts studying it, wondering what to do with it, right? And he looks at the little girl in front of him, and she's got this amazing frilly dress. It looks so pretty. And every parent is in there just, no, no, you know. And, and then all of a sudden, he makes up his mind, and he bends down, and he wipes it on the floor. And you hear this collective sigh of relief spread across the room in the middle of the concert. I, I love kids. Nothing like Jesus loved kids. Such tenderness. Such delight in those that the world just simply looked past. Maybe it's their sense of wonder, their sense of awe. Have you ever watched a kid just be dazzled by a dandelion? And it just reminds you of the things that we overlook. I mean, for a kid, the world is just full of these wow, God moments. What a great way to be. Or maybe it's their teachability. Kids question. They ask questions. How many times do you hear from a kid, why? And they learn. They're like sponges. What a great way to be. Or maybe it's their fragility, their humility. They, they know they don't know. They know they can't on their own. They know that they need your help. They need your love. They need your acceptance, which is why there's this constant, look at me, Mom. Look at me, Dad. Or maybe it's their propensity for faith. It's amazing, their propensity for faith in God. I think sometimes our kids see the world through less jaded eyes, and because of that, they're capable of such great trust in God. One guy describes the faith of kids like this. He says, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Every kid knows that a story is supposed to have a happy ending. Why? Because God wrote it on their hearts. We were born knowing that our prince really will come, that there's going to be a glorious wedding someday, that the dragon will be slain. But somewhere along the way, we convince ourselves that it was too good to be true. Life beat us down, and we forgot to have how to hope for that happy ending until Jesus came and reminded us. Kids have it right. So truly I tell you, Jesus said, unless you change, unless you become little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You won't even get in the front door, guys. So what would you have to change to be childlike? What's holding you back? Therefore, he said, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Guys, don't be hornswoggled, bamboozled, or conned by those who think they're too smart for God. 
Don't buy into our world's lie that cynicism is wisdom, that those who mock the most are the enlightened ones. If we can't look at the world with wonder, if we can't look at our God with awe like a child, then you're blind and you're deaf and you're mute. Thanks, bud. Gospel of Matthew just keeps going. Jesus says one of the wildest things that you've ever heard him say. He says, if anyone, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for that one to have a large millstone tied around their neck and to be tossed into the sea. Wow. I mean, just picture a sweet and gentle Jesus saying that with a big smile on his face. If anyone causes one of these little guys to stumble, it'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Doesn't quite work, does it? This is a threat, guys. This is a warning. His eyes are boring in on somebody and his voice is icy. If anyone causes just one of these little guys who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their necks and to be tossed into the depths of the sea. Some of the translations worded a little differently. Here's the NLT. If, anyone, if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin. Good news, that's my favorite. If anyone would cause one of these little ones to lose their faith in me. Because in Greek, the word is skandalizo, and it pretty much is closest to this one. If anyone would cause one of these little guys to lose their faith in me. It'd be better if they had a concrete block tied to their necks and tossed into a river. So apparently this is one of those things that made Jesus mad. And it's about something even more damaging than emotional abuse or physical abuse. This is about more than just causing a kid to stumble or tempting a kid to sin. This is about pulling a kid away from God forever, maybe. You guys who are parents, have you ever felt the frustration of watching some friend or some teacher or some other twit pull your kid away from you? And you know how frustrating they can be? Imagine how God feels when someone pulls one of his precious kids away from him. Because listen, guys, a child's belief in God, a child's faith in God, a child's trust in God is way more precious to God than any kind of diamonds. And when some dork puts a roadblock between one of his kids and his God, there's some things that just make God mad. So who would do such a thing? Who'd pull a kid away from God? A parent, maybe? who by their own hostility towards God or by their indifference towards God undermines the faith of a child who is God's child first. Jesus says it'd be better if you put a millstone around that parent's neck and tossed him into the sea. Or maybe a teacher. Teacher in some school who through their cynicism or their hostility towards God 
towards God's church or towards Jesus' followers undermines the faith of a child. It'd be better for a millstone to be tied around that teacher's neck and for them to be tossed into the sea. Or a friend at school, neighborhood who pulls your kid into sin and in their pulling your kid into sin is simultaneously pulling your kid away from God. Or some hero, maybe some musician, actor, athlete, or some other person that your kid wants to be like. When that hero pulls God's kid away from the real hero who is our God, millstone time. Maybe even some old grump at church who wants what they want no matter how many kids the church might lose. In fact, I know this is going to sound a little bit mean, but those of you guys who know me just recognize I am mean, so it kind of is fitting, right? I actually thought about ordering a boatload of millstone necklaces. Wouldn't that be a cool gift? A millstone necklace. I think a millstone necklace would be kind of a sobering gift for a parent at a baby dedication. Kind of a warning and a reminder that your first job Your first job is to do anything you can to connect your kid to his God forever. Don't you dare do anything as a parent or a grandparent that pulls your kid away from his God. Or maybe maybe you send one to his teacher on the first day of school. You have the awesome responsibility to teach and influence this child of God. Don't you dare do anything that would undermine their trust in the one who holds their eternity in his hands. Or maybe we'd pass out a few millstone necklaces to some honorary neighbors or some grumpy church people as a reminder. I know that wouldn't work. Kind of wish it would. Jesus isn't done. Jesus says this. He says, see that you don't despise one of these little guys. I know. I think he's still talking about the kids. Don't you dare look down on one of these little guys. Don't blow them off. For I tell you, this is it, I tell you there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. There are angels. Some people actually think that means that every kid has a guardian angel. I don't think it has to mean that. It might. But I do think at least that it means that perhaps even the angels have a soft spot for kids. And if you think about it, guys, Angels are not these sweet, chubby, little naked babies with wings. And angels are not some beautiful woman in a flowing dress with wings. They're incredibly powerful warriors. And what Jesus is saying, don't tick the angels off, guys. Don't tick them off. One more scene. Apparently there were some parents who wanted Jesus to bless their kids. How cool is that? And the disciples, you know, guys like Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Matthew, the guy who was writing this story for us, these guys started scolding the parents for bothering Jesus with their kids. Makes sense in their world. Kids didn't matter. See, it's going to take a while. Eventually, they're going to get it, but not quite yet. And anyway, Jesus gets mad. Don't stop these kids. What are you guys doing? The kingdom of God belongs to kids just as much as it belongs to you. Now, we've heard these words before, but usually we imagine them as very gentle and sweet because it's Jesus talking, right? Let the little children come to me. 
because Jesus is sweet. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Gentle words with a gentle smile on his face. And everyone says, ah. Jesus is ticked. Don't you dare get between these kids and me. Get out of the way. You want me to go get a millstone? You want me to sick an angel on you? I'm their God too. Your job is to connect them to me, not drive them away from me, you twits. Twits is there in the Greek, I'm pretty sure, right? Guys, we don't do daycare here at Cap City. We do next-gen ministry from birth through graduation. We try to connect our two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds to their God as best we can. And when they get old enough to choose for themselves, we challenge them to choose Jesus. What ministry is bigger than that one? Did you know that the vast, vast majority of us Jesus followers choose to follow Jesus well before the age of 18? One study claims that 84% of us make our decision for Jesus between the age of 4 and 14. 84% of us. Another 10% will choose Jesus between the ages of 15 and 30. And after that, it's just a smattering, a handful, because by that time, we're usually pretty hardened in who we choose to be. In other words, guys, if we're not getting it done with our kids, we're not getting it done. And in other words, guys, we parents and we grandparents and all the rest of us Jesus followers who are around our kids have a job to do, maybe the most important job that we have to do. By the way, guys, we need more volunteers in our next-gen ministries. If you've got any kind of an inkling, if you've got a nudge from God to work with our preschool or elementary or our junior and senior high school kids, you need to talk to one of our team. You need to talk to me, one of the team. We'll get you hooked in. Some of you guys need to step up. So, how are we going to get it done? How are we going to avoid millstones and angry angels? Or more positively, how do we just do it done right because we love our God and love our kids? First, got to remember this, guys. Our children are God's kids first. They're not our kids first. They're his kids first. Just like your wife is God's daughter before she's your wife. Just because your husband is God's son before he's your husband. Your kids are God's kids first, entrusted to you to care for for a while. What a privilege, what a responsibility. As parents and grandparents, we get to babysit God's kids for a time. Second, guys, remember this. Your model your model is way more important than your words. Who you are, how you follow Jesus or not, what things you value most, those are the things that are going to be way more impactful than your words. So do your kids see you doing life with God, for God, God's way? Do they see you putting God above your job, above your leisure, above your sports, above whatever? making church and your personal life with God more important than the thousand other things that try to push God aside? Do your kids see someone who trusts God when someone you love gets sick or dies, when you lose a job or your business goes under? Are you showing them what a life lived with God, for God, God's way looks like? 
The third one, it's not just your model. It is your words, too. Do you actually try to teach your kids about God? Do you talk to your kids about God? Do you try to teach your kids how to talk to God, how to spend some time in his word, or are you leaving all that stuff to the church? Fourth, do they see you honoring the church and do they see you honoring other Jesus followers? Sometimes it's not what you say to them. Sometimes it's what they overhear you saying to others. Do they hear you criticizing the church, the worship service? Do they hear you criticizing the preacher? I just threw that one as humor because I could never imagine that happening here. That's humor, by the way. Do you guys know that a constant barrage of negativism will undermine a child's faith in God and God's people? So if they hear us dogging each other and cutting at each other, you know that can pull them away from the God that we're trying to get them to trust. There's more. Just think about it. But guys, one of the greatest honors that God gives any one of us is permission to call him dad, to call him our father. And did you know that how we perceive him as our father, our dad, is going to be shaped by our connection with our human dad and mom, parents? So let's do it right.